Hi everyone, it's Ricardo. It is a new year and guess what? We've got an exciting new opportunity for the Popping Collars universe. Have you ever listened to us and thought, I could do that? These guys don't even know what they're talking about. Have you ever had an idea for a podcast, but you just didn't know how to get it off the ground? Or have you started working on a podcast just to find that your only audience is your mom and your dog? Well, starting this year, we are beginning a special offering called Popping Collars Plus. Here's how it works. If you've got a podcast that's somewhere in the neighborhood of religion and popular culture, send us your recording and we will possibly host it on our feed, the longest running Episcopal feed of all time with thousands of downloads per month. It's an opportunity to get your voice to a wide audience and get that potential booster shot of listeners that you've always wanted. And we get the benefit of hearing from more diverse voices from around the religious world. So it's a win-win. So if you want to take advantage of Popping Collars Plus, just send an email and MP3 submission to poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com and we will review your offering and possibly put you on the feed. We're looking forward to hearing from all you creative souls. So keep those microphones humming and keep those collars Pop. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Ricardo. And this is Going On 30, a Popping Collars side project where we know all there is to know. Yeah, we do. Yeah, Yeah, we do. do. About movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago. This month, we're looking at The Crying Game. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. Take up my wallet. I want you to do something for me. I want you to find her out. Tell her I was thinking of her. Listen, there's something I should tell you. Shouldn't I go? Yes. This is Canby of the New York Times calls The Crying Game ingenious and exceptionally well-acted. Punished quite effectively. You know her, Jimmy. Jimmy, is it? Leave her out of this. Are you gonna tell me what's wrong? No, not here. Johnny! It's funny the way things go. Never the way you expected. Uh, new segment for the show, Ricardo. Yes. I asked. Uh, I, I've started. I started thinking. I'm gonna ask my ten-year-old what she thinks this movie is about based on the title. So I asked my 10-year-old, what do you think the movie The Crying Game is about? And she said, crying is not a game. Ooh. (laughs) That's kind of profound, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So. That would fit in the movie. Yeah, there you go. I have a brief description of this movie. Would you like to hear it? I sure would. Actually, it's not brief at all. It's very long. Let's hear Um, There's a lot to say. So it goes like this. Irish Republican Army member Fergus forms an unexpected bond with Jody, a kidnapped British soldier in his custody. Despite the warnings of fellow IRA members Jude and Maguire, Jody makes Fergus promise he'll visit his girlfriend Dill in London. And when Fergus flees to the city, he seeks her out. Hounded by his former IRA colleagues, he finds himself increasingly drawn to the enigmatic and surprising Dill. Wow. No spoilers in that description. No. We're going to have to have spoilers. We'll have spoilers. This is a spoiler. We have assumed that you have watched the movie in in order to have our conversation. So if you haven't watched The Crying Game, go watch The Crying Game. I would say definitely don't even listen to this if you haven't watched The Crying Game because it'll be spoiled for you forever. That's right. That's right. Um, I I have to say, just in reading this description right now, 
Mm-hmm. This is the first time that I actually know these characters' names. Like I've, I, <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I was watching the movie, I either I couldn't understand what they were saying, or I just didn't know what their names were. So Fergus, okay, I didn't know that's what. They All right, yeah, yeah. Um, Ricardo, what is your history with the movie The Crying Game? Well, Greg. Uh, I, it came out in 1992 or 93. Yeah. So we are, so let's see, we are talking about the movies that were nominated for Oscars in 1993. So this movie was from 1992. Yeah. All right. So it came out in 1992 and, um, it was one of those word of mouth hits from what I recall, 1992, I was still living in Madison, Wisconsin, but on my way to San Francisco in December of 93, so I'm going to guess I saw it when I was still in Wisconsin and living in a college town, Madison. And so it was a real, you know, it was one of those indie hits that people just talked about and you've got to see it. So I saw it. I loved it. It definitely has a sort of queer theme going on in mm-hmm. it. And so I had that interest. And I think I, I saw it again a few years later and I just saw it, finished watching it for the third time about 30 minutes ago. And as far as I'm concerned, it holds up. And I think it's it's even better because I've kind of matured yeah. uh, and I see a lot of themes uh, in the movie that I will talk about later. So that's my history. I remember this as a kid. So this is one of those things Betsy and I talk about a lot on the show where mm-hmm. a movie is just so ingrained in the pop culture that you feel like you know a lot about the movie even when you haven't seen it. And the crying game, you're so right. The crying game was just huge. I mean, there was the Boy George song that was all over the place, like on the radio. And then the movie itself was sort of kind of notorious, I guess, in 1992. Like there was this big secret about the movie. And yeah, there was like all of this. There was a lot of there was a lot of talk about the movie, talk on the streets about the movie. Right. I was I was 12, but I could hear the street talk about the movie. <laughs> so, so I guess I guess the reputation of the movie is what I kind of knew for a long time, but I never actually saw the movie until a month ago. So my whole history with this movie is just all based on reputation. So in 1992, I was God, I was 25, 26. Am I that much older than you? So, okay, so I was lying when I said I was 12. How old would I have been <laughs> in 1992? 15? 15. You were 15 in 92, so now yeah. you're 45. Oh, my gosh. Ricardo, we don't I'm talk sorry. about these things. On the- you, can, <laughs> you can edit that out. We don't talk about our age on the show. I was 26 when the movie came out, and I just started coming out at age 21, And Mm. so it was still a new thing and I was still coming out to people. And because this movie has that kind of, I'm just going to use the word queer angle to it. It kind of floored me at at that level. You know, Mm -hmm. I remember that back then um, because I didn't know what the surprise was going to be. So let's move on to hot takes about the movie, the crying game, general thoughts about the movie, just or what kind of comes to mind when you think about the movie, the crying game. So the actor Stephen Ray looks way cuter with a short haircut than a long haircut. Yeah. Way you know what? What's the movie? There's a Sarah Polly movie that he was in. I want to say like in the late 90s, which was the first time that I remember seeing him. Maybe Guinevere. I think that may be what it's called. Maybe. But yeah, he looked significantly older. Like... Over the course of seven years, however long it took to get from 1992 to 1999, it looked like he aged a lot. Like, I I watched this movie and I was like, wow, he looks really young and really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephen Ray actually, I think, probably was older than you think. Because towards the end of the movie, uh, even when he's got his short hair and looks really cute. He's got like bags under his eyes and like I do and the, a, a wrinkle between his eyebrows and, and kind of there's a little bit of aging on him. Hmm. The movie aged him. But um, I, I was surprised. I, I would have guessed that in that movie he was he was probably 34 years old. I mean, that's not old. Forrest Whitaker looks young in this movie, too. Everybody kind of looks young. In yeah. This yeah, totally. yeah. Hang on a second. Uh, hey, Siri, how old was Stephen Ray in the movie The Crying Game? 
He was born in 1946, 56. What? Wait. So that means 96, he was 50. He was 46. 46. <laughs> he was your age, old man. <laughs> oh, young Stephen Ray. Oh, All right. join Thank us God. over here in the young pool, Stephen Ray, with your 46-year-old self. Oh, so good. <laughs> That's right. So Stephen Ray was 46 uh, when the well, when the crying game came out. So it's probably 44 when they made it, let's say. Um, but the point is, so here's a hot take. The hot take is he looks way better with short hair than with long hair at the beginning of the movie. But I think the hair stuff is an actual, um, it's a, it's a, what do you call it? A trope, a metaphor in the whole movie, because there are three hair changes. So yeah, Stephen Ray has like the scraggly hair when he's the IRA guy at the beginning, but then when he's in hiding, cause he goes in hiding, right? Mm -hmm. That's his hair. He looks kind of dapper. He wears like blazers and khaki pants. So he's more conservative looking. Jay Davidson as Dill is um, flashy, uh, like frizzy hair and tight skirts and dresses. Mm -hmm. And then at the end gets her hair cut. So she looks like a boy and wears like a polo cricket sweater mm -hmm. uh, to disguise her as well. But Miranda Richardson's hair changes too. She goes from blonde to brunette. She goes from like blonde kind of gal with sweaters on and stuff to this like suit wearing dark haired kind of Natasha from yeah Morrison yeah that's Natasha. right my hot take is this the big reveal which spoilers if you haven't seen the crying game the big reveal is that Dill presents as a woman but has male genitals right is that a way to say that is is biologically male doesn't have breasts or anything either correct Yes. So the big reveal comes that um, Fergus sort of assumes that Dill is a woman. Okay. How am I saying this, Ricardo? You're and no matter how you say it, it's going to be incorrect. <laughs> I think so. So, so the reveal is that the reveal is that at, at some point there's a penis where you're not expecting there to be a penis. <laughs> in the movie. Oh, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> So I think what I think what was shocking to me is that that happened earlier in the movie than I thought. I thought that that was like a climax of the movie. And so I was like, okay, I know that this happens. I know to expect this in the movie. And then it happens before I expected it. To. Right. Did you know that it was going to happen? You haven't seen it in all these years. Did you know the secret? I did know it was going to happen because of the pop culture like shadow that this thing has so like so like i said like i knew that this was going to happen because this is like a the crying game and that we'll get into a little bit later is kind of shorthand the crying game gets referenced in other movies right whenever there's like a gender reveal or something in a movie like oh. the boy george song will play or something like that i think that happens in ace ventura actually that makes sense <laughs> yeah and so it's like, um, and so, yeah, so I knew, again, it's one of those, you know, the movie from reputation, but like, I had never seen the movie. So I didn't know what, what the order of events were. And so when the movie starts with like an IRA kidnapping, I gotta be honest, I had no idea what was happening. I was totally lost for about the first 45 minutes. Of the movie. Wow. <laughs> That's... I know. I felt really dumb. <laughs> well, no, because I mean, it's three movies, and and this whole it's it's like a political thriller for mm -hmm. about forty minutes, mm -hmm. uh, and that's a good chunk of the. What I was surprised at is that that part of the movie is actually a lot more. It's a lot. It's a bigger slice of the pie of the movie running time than I thought. Yes, absolutely. Like, yeah. if you were to ask me what this movie was before I watched it, I would have said, oh, that's um, sort of a pioneering indie queer film about a man who falls in love with what he thinks is a woman, but turns out not to be a woman, turns out to be, you know, or something like that. Okay, I'm going to butcher this. I apologize for everything I say in advance. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's what I would have told you that the movie was about. And then after watching the movie, I would tell you that the movie is about an IRA member trying to escape his past that falls in love with 
his captive's girlfriend. Like that's what the movie is. But, but like you would never know that, you know, just based on the discourse around the movie, I guess. I sort of want to say one of the reasons it's not more beloved than it is, is that people just get snagged on the whole, oh, wow, she right. has a penis. Right. Uh, and then that's how far they go. When I think the movie is profound on various levels and has a lot to say about religion, society, sexuality, love, um, identity, especially. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> not that that's what Neil Jordan, the director, intended, maybe, but I just I find it I find it pretty profound. This is a really like transgressive movie in the way that it it makes people confront ideas and images and art that maybe they wouldn't have thought about before. I think the word transgressive is a great word to describe. Is that what you said? Yeah, transgressive yeah. to mm-hmm. describe the movie because I I think it does more than kind of tweak sexual identity. I mean, think the people viewing the movie might have already known that some surprise was going to be in the movie, but don't tell. Mm -hmm. But they don't realize that they think they've been seeing this heterosexual romance budding as a result of him feeling responsible for the death of her boyfriend. But then it's suddenly two guys. And I would think if you were like a straight guy on a date with your girlfriend to see the crying game that's got like a chick with dark hair and a smoking gun on the cover on the on the poster you can be like, this is going to be like a sex movie or something. Right. And then it's IRA and you get confused and then it's a guy and then you're squirming, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think you talk about backlash. I, I don't remember about backlash, but I would imagine uh, that it's the sort of thing where uh, some people might have been really upset at being tricked, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of that here. And you have to think about early nineties movies too, right? Like we're right in the middle of basic instinct and, you know, fatal attraction has happened like a few years before that. Like there's a lot of like erotic thrillers that are in the market right now. Right. And this is like, this is a thriller. It's like a noir, but it does something different from like what basic instinct is trying to do and stuff, you know? But I would argue also, Greg, and I'm sorry, I'm going deep already. So (laughs) you can edit this out and put it in later because I'll forget. Yeah. The other way it's transgressive is, you know, if you stay through the movie, you've got to deal with the fact that this straight guy, Stephen Ray is still in love with Bill. And they're still kissing. They never, I noticed in this third viewing, they never have full-on sex. Like the times after the reveal when they're in bed together, he's on top of the covers and she's <laughs> under the cover. Right. For right. the most part. Right. And so you're supposed to kind of, you know, guess from that that okay, they didn't really go all the way. Uh, but they go some of the way before the reveal. The transgressive part is, you know, if you've got this idea of what love is and it's between a guy and a gal. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you realize he's like this emotional kind of sensitive guy who cares. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the whole, I mean, that's one of the major premises is he actually cares, even though he's in a situation where you're supposed to be ruthless, he cares. And that doesn't stop when suddenly what he thought was true was no longer true. He cares through it. And it challenges the viewer to be like, I really like them together because they have this flirtatious, fun thing going on. And then I still want them to be together because they're the yeah. good guys, so yeah. to speak, you know? Yeah. And and so what's transgressive is it really makes you, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's some straight guys who are like, okay, man, they got feelings too. And they have, they're romantic and, you know, the, 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 the queers or the gays or whatever they might've said. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't mean mm-hmm. to stereotype straight guys, but um. It's, you know, I find that quite transgressive. Let me tell you, let me say a quick word about Forrest Whitaker in this movie. Yeah. Because I don't think that I knew Forrest Whitaker was in the movie. And so when he shows up, I'm like, wait, hold (laughs) up. I think that's Forrest Whitaker. But then he says something and it makes me think maybe it's not Forrest Whitaker. Because he has one of the craziest accents I've ever heard in a movie. It's (laughs) like Irish kinda but kinda english but kinda just american <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know what this accent is 
So I was kind of like IMDb-ing through the first like 10 minutes of the movie, just making uh-huh. sure that I saw what I thought I saw, which was Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> but Ricardo, this brings me to our first top five of the year. I have a list right here of the top five Forrest Whitaker accents from movie. <gasps> Whoa, I didn't realize. Okay. <laughs> Wow, this is great. What are the top five accents of Forrest Whitaker in movies? Okay, I have an honorable mention to start. Forrest Whitaker was a voice in Where the Wild Things Are. Do you remember that movie? I haven't seen it. But you know the book, right? There's like a little boy dressed up like a devil, and he goes to like an island of monsters and stuff. Right. Forrest Whitaker was one of the monsters. Nice. I don't remember if he had like an egregious accent. But I made it an honorable mention because it was a Forrest Whitaker monster. Okay, number five. Here we go. Yeah. Top five Forrest Whitaker accents. His accent from The Last King of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah? Idi yeah. Amin, where he's, where he's like um, doing those big speeches. I just remember going into the Oscars and hearing like those bombastic speeches all the time. He won yeah. an Oscar for that role. That's correct. He did. Idi Amin did. I mean, uh, Forrest Whitaker did. Did he? I mean, <laughs> he was so light. He was so realistic. <laughs> Greg, I haven't seen that. Um, I do not think Idi Amin has won any Oscars so far. No, not even. Um, okay, uh, number four. His accent from Black Panther. Black Panther. He was. Oh, in. was he in Black Panther? Yeah, he was. He was like a priest in Black Panther. He was like a. No wonder I don't remember. Like a spiritual person in Black Panther. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, number three, Forrest Whitaker accent. Did you ever see the movie Arrival with yeah. the aliens? Oh, yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, what was his accent in that movie? I don't remember him in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little strange. Wow. That's number three of your movies? That was number three. I still have two more above that. The number two Forrest Whitaker accent is from Rogue One, a Star Wars story, where he basically sounds like he drank a milkshake made of asphalt. Oh, he sounds like this. Like that's pretty much the accent through the entire movie. But it's him somehow. It's still Forrest Whitaker. Like he's still bringing it. He just he he just sounds like he's scratched his throat. Is is that a is that an animated thing or live action movie? It's not. It's live action actually. Rogue One: A Star Wars Story was a live action Star Wars movie. And then finally, the number one Forrest Whitaker accent. Are you ready for this? It comes from his portrayal in Battlefield Earth, alongside John Travolta. <laughs> That's great, Greg. I. I am not a good host co-host for you on this. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I've heard of Battlefield Earth. It's like one of the worst best movies ever made or best worst movies or right. It's like panned critically. It's an odd movie. To be fair, Forrest Whitaker is a great actor. This is no like slight on Forrest Whitaker's ability. He is oh, phenomenal. No. I remember yeah. watching Ghost Dog, the uh, Jim Jarmusch movie that he mm-hmm. did back in the 2000s sometime he is incredible in that movie forrest whitaker's great so what is he british is he american is he irish is he he's, Scottish he's american i think but he's you know he's an american who tries not unlike and it sounds like i'm comparing these two people but not unlike nicholas cage which i'm not saying that forrest whitaker is like nicholas cage but forrest whitaker makes choices for his characters the way that nicholas cage makes choices for his characters and sometimes those choices play pay off really well and sometimes those choices kind of come off really odd and for forrest whitaker it's accent work like some of his accents that he chooses to do just kind of sound odd i think <laughs> it's a good, a good accent and <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. I'll uh, do it if I can sound like this. What is the best scene from the movie oh, The Crying Game? Best scene? Mm-hmm. Well, do I get a list of three yeah. runners? Oh, how many do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's a three-way tie for first place. Okay. Hit me. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is, these aren't in any order, is uh, is when Forrest Whitaker's character, Jody, is telling Stephen Ray's character, Fergus, the story about the scorpion and the frog. Two types, Fergus. The scorpion and the frog. Ever heard of them? A scorpion wants to cross the river, but he can't swim. Goes to a frog who can and asks for a ride. Frog says, I'll give you a ride on my back. You'll go and sting me. Scorpion replies, It would not be in my interest to sting you since I'll be on your back with both a trap. Frog thinks about his logic for a while and accepts the deal. Takes the scorpion on his back, braves the waters, halfway over feels a burning spear in his side and realizes the scorpion has stung him after all. And as they both sink beneath the waves, a frog cries out, Why did you sting me, Mr. Scorpion? For now we both will drown. Scorpion replies, I can't help it. It's in my nature. Mm. That fable. Yeah. That fable about the, the scorpion who wants to cross the river and asks the frog for a ride on his back. And the frog says, no, Mr. Scorpion. Oh, and there's Forrest Whitaker doing accents. Yeah, there it is. It's like <laughs> Forrest Whitaker is here with us right now. <laughs> Mr. Scorpion, if I give you a ride, you will sting me and I shall die. So the scorpion jumps on the frog's back and the frog is bravely crossing the river. And then he feels this burning sensation, this stab in his side. And sure enough, the scorpion has stung him. And the frog says, Mr. Scorpion, why did you sting me? Now we shall both die. And he literally says it like that. Mm -hmm. And the scorpion says, I can't help it. It's in my nature. It's in my nature. And that <laughs> is... I think it's a profound little story. It's a fable about how you can't sometimes help yourself, even when you know it's going to hurt others and yourself, because you have this proclivity towards something. And I know, Greg, from the look on your face, that you know what I'm talking about <laughs> in your life. And I certainly have it in my life. That's my. That's probably one of my top three favorite scenes, because it sets up the whole the whole premise of the movie, because I don't think the movie's about gender fluidity. I don't think the movie's about the IRA. I think it's about, um, I think it's about character, you know, good mm -hmm. or evil, you know, yeah. are we scorpions or are we frogs? Can you choose yeah. your destiny? Yeah. Well, no, you don't choose your destiny. You have a nature that mm -hmm. you play out. I mean, and how you get through your fate, I'll call it, uh, because Stephen Ray is a gentle, kind-hearted, brave kind of, his character is kind of a, he's like a knight in shining armor in a weird way because he cares about people, but right. he's into this situation, the troubles where you can't win. The only people who might win are the ruthless ones, mm -hmm. but his nature carries him through. That's, I mean, uh, that's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. How about you? My favorite scene is when Miranda Richardson returns to the movie, when Jude comes back into Fergus's life. We had a court martial in your absence. They wanted to put a bullet through your head. I pleaded for clemency. Said we should find out what happened first. So what did happen? He ran. I couldn't shoot him in the back. I tried to catch him. He made it to the road and got hit by a Saracen. But you know what the thing is, Fergus? No, what is the thing? You vanished quite effectively. Became Mr. Nobody. You've no idea how useful that could be. What do you mean? We've got some plans here. And we'll need a Mr. Nobody to execute them. No way, Jude. I'm out. You're never out, Fergus. Because I think Maybe at that point of yourself. the movie, I was just kind of like, yeah, something's going to need to happen here because I'm not sure if I'm sold on like watching the rest of this movie just kind of be a melodrama between Fergus and Dill. 
Right. And when Jude comes back into the picture and injects chaos into the rest of the movie, that like I set up in my seat a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh, something, something's happening. Something big is happening. And, um, and so, yeah. And that scene where she comes back, it's just so like, it's just so, it's such a noir, right? It's such like a femme fatale coming into the picture, you know, and the use of, shadow and light and you know you don't know what her motivation is and you don't know what she's going to how she's going to get fergus back into this world of violence and revenge and it's just great i just i love that scene where she returned he goes home and turns on the light in his apartment and there she is sitting in a, yeah. an armchair in the corner with mm-hmm. dark hair <laughs> mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> you know yeah and suddenly um his problems are way bigger than right. And everything is a weapon in that scene. Right. So like sex is a weapon and their relationship is a weapon. And like, you know, she's asking him to be a weapon again. And totally. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, among other things is, yeah, she brings chaos, but she also brings a sort of reckoning to him. It's like, who am I going to be? You know, I thought I could be this guy who, you know, falls in love with the girlfriend of the man I almost killed. Um, but now I have to go back to the IRA stuff. But now I'm a chivalrous guy because I don't want anything to happen to Dill and she's being threatened. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I do love her and I do care about right and wrong. And Right. So, uh, yeah. What's your best performance from the movie? I think I've spoiled mine. I love everything Miranda Richardson is doing. So. Oh, yeah. Pretty much mine. But yeah. What's your best performance? My favorite performance was Stephen Ray. I just found him so soulful and haunted and kind of lovely, actually. Um, You know, one of my favorite things in movies and shows uh, is um, handsome, tortured men, you know, who have like just kind of like struggling or like handsome men crying or and Stephen Ray gets this look on his face sometimes where he just like is pained and you know and you just I, I just kind of adore that look I'll, I'll be honest I don't the only example I can think of as a terrible example is Warren Beatty in the movie Reds okay. uh, when Diane Keaton's character leaves and he's sitting on the stairs and he just starts to cry and he's not a very good crier but he's so damn good looking that I just haven't forgotten that scene and so I guess it's just maybe men being vulnerable, you know? Yeah. Funky men being vulnerable. I will say this about Stephen Ray. He has those deep eyes, you know? There are some people that you look into into their eyes and you're like, wow, there's a lot going on in there. And Stephen Ray's one of those actors. Like, he can really, like, pull you in with whatever he's doing with his eyes. And, like, you kind of get lost in them. They're like pools, kind of. Right. He's really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he'd be my favorite performance. And of course, I loved Jay Davidson. I mean, I don't know if Jay Davidson in real life was transgender. I'm going to assume yes. So I'll say I'll say she. Uh, so um, she's such a natural. I mean, she mm-hmm. never really acted before. I think she was spotted. I read about this. She was spotted at some Derek Jarman movie premiere or something movie premiere. And Derek Jarman kind of brought her to Neil Jordan because Neil Jordan was having trouble casting the part. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you have, you, you have to have it be someone believable to the audience and the character of Stephen Ray's character, or it's going to seem silly. Right. Yeah. Davidson was just like, totally it. Do anything for me. Anything. No way. You said anything, girl. Girl has to draw the line somewhere. I want to change it to a man. Why? It's a secret. Would you like me better that way, Jimmy? Yes. Then you wouldn't leave me. No. You promise. I promise. Go on then. But and sometimes it feels a bit acty. You know, like it feels a bit acting. It feels like an amateur. Yeah. A little bit, which isn't to say not talented. I mean, I think you're right. I think she does an amazing job in this role, but like, 
I don't know. There's there's also like, you know, if you look at her I'm IMDb page, like there's only three movies on there or something. Right. Like, a very short career. And right. was nominated for an Oscar. Spoilers right. for our next segment. Was nominated for an Oscar right out of the blocks with her debut movie. So it's like it's kind of hard to live up to that. Anyway, Steve Ricardo, Ray. I yeah. have some stats about the movie The Crying Game. Let's hear it. The Crying Game opened on November 25th, 1992. Nice. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Enjoy. Oh. Enjoy this with your Thanksgiving dinner. This day, November 25th, 1992, this day in 90210 history. Uh-huh. On this day in 90210, we have arrived at episode at season three, episode 15, entitled The Kindness of Strangers. Were you ever a 90210 person, Ricardo? Or was that? No, I was no. not. I know that there was a Kimberly who started a fire. Yes. We dealt with that last season. That was one of And then that actress who turned out to be kind of Shannon Doherty? No. Yes, Shannon Doherty. She played Brenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was sort of a difficult person in real life or had some trouble. Yeah, but she's better now. Um, so the kindness of strangers, the episode recap says Brandon, who was Brenda's brother, Brenda's twin brother on the show. Brandon brings a homeless man home for Thanksgiving dinner. Dylan celebrates the holiday with his father and Steve spends the day with his mother. Wow. (laughs) Captivating Is this a regular feature of going on 30? It It is. Sometimes they're boring episodes like this one. And then sometimes they're, well, on fire episodes like the one that you mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) So Brendan and Branda. No, see, Brandon, Brenda and Brandon. Yes. That's that's a bad naming of twins. (laughs) I mean, I just I just showed you why without meaning to Branda and Brendan. Brenda and Brandon. That's ridiculous. That's <laughs> like, oh, these are my two twin sons, Brett and Brent. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well. That's all right. Oh, man. Was okay. that the show with Luke Perry on it? Yes. Luke Perry was Dylan. That was the guy who was celebrating his, the holiday with his father, Dylan. And there was another hunky young gentleman on the show. The other one. Yeah, probably Steve. He's <laughs> also... Who's the actor? He spends the day with his mother. His name was Ian Ziering. No, no, that's not him. Or maybe you're thinking of David, played by Brian Austin Green. I like Brian Austin Green, uh, but no, uh, it's the maybe it's a different show. Okay, okay. So uh, the Crying Game had a domestic gross of sixty-three million dollars, which isn't bad. Yeah. So I always tell Betsy, like a blockbuster movie at this time would have been made a hundred million dollars, probably. Mm-hmm. So sixty-three million is not bad for an independent right. movie. Yeah. yeah, it was the number twenty grossing movie of nineteen ninety-two. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It is the number one thousand three hundred and ninety-ninth top grossing movie of all time. Wow! And this is a game that Betsy and I play. At this point, Ricardo. So what I do is I tell you what movies this movie came between on the list of top grossing movies of all time. And then you tell me which of these movies you would like to flirt with, which means that's a movie that you would watch one time and then never watch again. Uh Which of these movies would you marry, which is a movie that you would watch over and over again. And which is a movie that you would kill, which is a movie that you probably would never want to see ever again. Oh, this is fun. What if I yeah. haven't seen the movie though? Well, you just, you, you Make just it base it on the title. Yeah. You just base it okay. on the title. Go ahead. So this is the 1399th top grossing movie and it comes between Black Mass, which is the Johnny Depp movie where he plays Whitey Bulger. Oh, right. And London Has Fallen, which is the Gerard Butler movie where there's like um i think there's a terrorist situation and gerard butler has to like shoot people 
that all is so unique. I mean, that could be any one of 17 movies. So you get The Crying Game, Black Mass, and London Has Fallen, Flirt, Marry, Kill. I would marry The Crying Game. Okay. For Stephen Ray. Uh I would um, flirt with London Has Fallen because of Gerard Butler. And I would kill Black Mass uh, because it's about Whitey Bulger. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there you go. Um, uh, you- I am with you, except I I I switched the crying. Game. I would flirt with the crying game, and Mary London has fallen. Okay, good. The crying game has a ninety four percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's good. So people love this movie. You know who else loves this movie? Ooh. Roger Ebert. <gasps> In his review for the movie, he says this: reasons remain to watch this movie. It's not a great opening line. There are many reasons to watch a movie. Reasons remain to watch this movie. The development of Fergus and the fine performances, most notably Whitaker and Richardson, who plays her character with just the right number of screws loose. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. What other what other fun status facts do you have? So Roger gave it a four out of four. We always try to balance Roger because he's a man. We love Roger, but he is a he is a male voice. So we always try to balance Roger with a female critic at the time. Uh, and this review comes from Janet Maslin. Oh, yeah. Who was at the New York Times. She says the success of a film as offbeat as the crying game represents Hollywood's version of a grassroots phenomenon. A cleverly marketed film that has succeeded chiefly because it's so good. Wow. See, all right, Janet. Yeah. Janet's a good writer. Okay, now, Ricardo, here's where we get to how did the movie do at the Oscars? It had one win at the Oscar. What was that win, Ricardo? It was for best original screenplay by Neil (laughs) Jackson. That's correct. Not adapted, original. (laughs) That's right. Thank Did you. you also know that in addition to being nominated for Best Picture, it was also nominated for four other awards that it did not win? Do you think that you can name what those awards would be? I'm afraid so. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so there's Best Picture. Uh-huh. There's Best Director, Neil Jordan. Yes. Best Actor, Stephen Ray. Yes. There's Supporting Actor, Jay Davidson. Uh-huh. There's Best Screenplay. Uh-huh. And one more. That it was nominated for. Is it is it best supporting actress Miranda Richardson? No, although best editing. Best editing. That's right. Best film editing. Yes. Miranda was she was robbed. She was robbed. She was great in this movie. Funny the way things go. Don't you find that, Jimmy? Never the way you expected. I'm sorry. You mean that? Don't go! Say something! Jesus. Okay, now, Ricardo, let's talk about the lasting legacy of this film. And I wrote LGBT plus representation in movies. So... I don't know. Like I, I always, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but I kind of want to go into it a little bit more, I think, because this always, this movie always stood out to me as like a, I don't know. It was like a movie that had a notorious reputation. Everybody kind of had a sense of the crying game. And I say that in a, and I, I put this movie in the same place that I would put like a broke back mountain, for instance, where it's like, if you say the title of the movie, people instantly kind of think of what they think the movie is. Oh, yeah. Kind of going forward. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It'd be like someone saying, oh, that's a Brokeback Mountain situation right there. Yeah. And I think the crying game is kind of in that world, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe the movie has a reputation before you even see the movie. I guess that's what I'm wondering. Oh. It's like, is that a good thing? I think reputation. Uh, what, what did Oscar Wilde say? <laughs> the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. So uh, I would say that uh, that reputation probably was a good thing. I think it 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 
I can't imagine it didn't contribute to its success. Um, I think about Star Wars. <laughs> I guess that's a really oh. bad example. But okay. I, I didn't see Star Wars for like a year and a half. We've talked about this on the show. And I was disappointed when I saw it because there was so much hype. It's amazing. I've seen it seven times. I, right. I went and I saw it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. Wow, that's interesting. And I don't know. I, I think I was just set up for so much. Um, that if people go to see the crying game and they're like, there's a big reveal. Oh my God. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I think it gives, it, it gives the shock. It, sh- it should, if you're not expecting it. Um, but if you're already expecting it, I think it does sort of mess with the movie that maybe depletes your enjoyment of it. Okay. So just thinking about sort of gay cinema in general, so like, um, because we've had a conversation about this way back in the archives of Popping Collars, where we talked about sort of gay romance stories. I think mm-hmm. it was around the time that like Call Me By Your Name came out was when right. we had that conversation. And I guess my question is, is it in the nature of queer cinema to be shocking? <laughs> <laughs> so the reason oh. that I say that is because like this movie has like, what I think we would call a shocking reveal. I don't know. There's something about sexual discovery that has like a shocking nature to it. Like, well, I, 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 shocking. I mean, I, the word I liked that you used was transgressive um, uh, earlier. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. If you're, if you're straight and expecting, expecting something different. So mm-hmm. here's the thing. I actually don't think of the crying game as a gay movie. Oh, interesting. I, I really don't. I, I I think of it as a love story. And, and mm-hmm. I and I know, obviously, you know, I, I, I know the big reveal and all that. But uh, and I certainly know my feelings when I saw it and how it felt in a weird way, like uh, not a weird way. And it, it felt affirming. I will say that, that well, this is a tangent, but that the, the, there was a trope back when that, you know, every gay man's fantasy is a straight man who falls in love with him. You know? Oh, okay. And so there's a way in which this movie, I will confess to having had some of that in my life, those mm-hmm. th- that kind of longing, because you go around closeted all the time and have crushes on all these guys who are dating girls. And so then in some way, at some level, at least back then, that was my my ideal, you know, that the guy I have the crush on suddenly realizes that it's me who's, you know, the one for him. And this movie in, in that odd way fulfills that fantasy but i don't think of it as a gay movie i think of like my beautiful laundrette as a gay movie right and broke back mountain and call me by your name and you know boys in the band uh but um i don't know i i think of this as a, a thriller and a romance but to answer your question was it our sh- gay movies i think you said our gay movies kind of inherently shocking maybe that's mm-hmm. not a good idea. um i would say uh Probably, yes. And I would say even to this day, there's still a little, I'll call it titillating, maybe even for straight people. Like a John Waters film, for instance, right? Like he wants to elicit a specific emotion from you by putting something shocking on film to make you react in some kind of way, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that's related to, I don't know, something like... I want to challenge like the way that you're blindly moving through the world, expecting that every movie is going to be like a rom-com and this isn't, it's going to be something else, you know, and it's going to record scratch you a little bit here. Mm -hmm. You know, I I would call the John Waters movies I have seen, I definitely would call transgressive. I would also say some of them are hard to watch. Yeah. Um, And you have to kind of, you have to meet them with a certain level of armor I think. Mm-hmm. And so to me, they're not that interesting because they're not profound. Sorry, John Waters, Aww. who I met once, by the way, I met him once. Uh, he was, um, he was definitely in character, but yeah. um, <laughs> it was in a cafeteria line. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> um, I guess I'm resistant. I personally did not don't think of it as, as queer because I, I mean, I, I because I I don't want to I don't want to slot it that way because I think it's actually more profound than that. Mm. It's about how you make attachments and connections with other people and even fall in love with them, and yeah. it can have 
very, it, it can, <laughs> you know, obviously he's attracted to her because she's beautiful. And so that is surface level, but also he's feeling guilt about her boyfriend dying and mm -hmm. wants to care about her and follow through on his promise to check in on her. But um, when the reveal happens, he's realizing he's got feelings that transcend the, the, the superficial. And that I think is the more profound message of the movie is who we are and who we love and how, you know, how we make our way through the world. There is something that's in our nature that's going to make us act certain ways, but um, that kindness or that, you know, his, his goodness can transcend all that superficial. This is what you're uh -huh. supposed to love and who you're supposed to care about. And I think that's what the, that's what makes this movie profound to me. And I don't hear anyone else talking about that. So maybe I'm just yakking in the wind here, but no. I don't know if Neil Jordan even meant that to be the case, but I don't care because I think it's there. Yes. It's a queer cinema uh, signpost of the times, but I think we, like calling someone a woman author or a female author or a woman's author or something uh, can belittle that situation as well. I think that calling this a queer movie misses a lot of the nuance. Yeah. Who do you think this movie's for? Like when, when you think about like who this movie's marketed to and stuff like, like, like what's the intended audience of this movie? Is this a question that you ask for all the movies? Yeah. Yeah, because this is a <laughs> I'm kind of stumped. <laughs> that's definitely that's a bit of a stumper. Uh yeah. who would I guess it, it is for LGBTQ plus people back then okay. who didn't have, you know, who didn't have all those letters at the time. I think it was just gay and lesbian or LGBT or something. But uh yeah, it's, it's definitely for that community, but I think it's also for people who um to me really like a a good story that has See, kind of intrigue. Yeah, it, that last one that you said, that's what I think. I think this movie is for cinephiles. I think this movie is for people that like stories and like movies. Like, I mean, because it's got so much. It's got noir elements. It's got thriller elements. It's got love and sex and violence. And I mean, it's just got all of this stuff. Like, Romance, there's a reason. Politics. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why, like, it was the number 20 grossing movie of 1992. Like. It it pulls in a wider net than you would actually think. So I have a statistic for you, Greg. Oh. The British Film Institute in 1999 named it the 26th greatest British film of all time. Whoa. What did it come ahead of? What was it ahead of? What was number 20? Oh, Greg, I don't have that handy. <laughs> I didn't do that much. <laughs> oh, you want to do the the flirt with Marion Kill? <laughs> no. I just, no, I always like, I always like lists because I always want to know whenever something shows up, it's like number 25. I always want to know like, what oh, was wow. number 26? This is actually pretty interesting, Greg. Now, remember, this is 1999. So it's okay. fresh in people's minds. It probably has fallen lower. But in 1999, the British Film Institute, uh, made up, I suppose, of critics or I don't know who, British people. Yeah. Um, the Crying Game was number 26. Number 25, and again, which one would you flirt with? Which would you uh -huh. marry? Which would you kill? 25 was The Full Monty. Okay. 97. Right. Uh -huh. And 27 was Dr. Zhivago, David Lean. Oh, okay. This is easy for me. Yeah, I clear. would um, I would flirt with the crying game again, marry uh, The Full Monty, kill Dr. Zhivago. Whoa. Yeah. Why yeah. did you not like Dr. Zhivago? I'm not the seen? biggest Dr. Zhivago fan, but um, but also the full Monty is a rewatchable for me. I could watch that movie over and over again. Oh, that was, right. that was great. Yeah. You know what? I don't think I've seen the full Monty. Oh, wow. I, I don't want to kill any of them. Oh, I guess I don't. Mary, Mary means you'd watch it over and over again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, good Lord. I don't think I could watch Dr. Zhivago that many more times, but I sure love it. I would probably, I probably have to marry the crying game again and flirt with Dr. Zhivago, but I want to kill the full Monty. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll just retire. We'll just send the full Monty to like a retirement yeah. community. <laughs> That's right. I got to see it once though. Um, um, was a great Go ahead. What is your rating for this movie out of five? Five. Five out of five. Yeah, of wow. course. Wow. Uh, and you, that doesn't, and I I don't, well, 
I don't know. You know, it just, to me, it, it just has so many different things going on. And I, I get what you said earlier. I believe you said something like it's, it's a, it felt a little loose or like meandering yeah. you know what was mm-hmm. going on. I found it extremely satisfying around love and identity and, and, and the thriller aspect. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is five, like a super masterpiece, like only three movies should get that. Um, no, I mean, it's, uh, it, I mean, obviously no, nobody cares about it. No, Greg, come on. (laughs) Anything can be a five. I think Liz always gives movies a five. Like it's (laughs) so so it's fine. Um but um but no, I I usually reserve a five for like, is this like if I were to open a movie hall of fame, would this movie go in it? 4.5. I'll give it a 4.5. All right, 4.5. I originally gave this movie a two out of five. Not because I think it's bad. It's not a bad movie. It's actually a really good movie. It just feels, and you've put your finger on this, like it's like three movies in one movie. And to me, that feels a little unfocused. Like mm-hmm. it's it's hard. it was hard for me to understand like what it was that Neil Jordan wanted me to focus on with this movie. And right. so, but because because of our conversation, I have bumped up the score to two point five. I'm giving it a two point five. That's because- all I get is a half point <laughs> after I've just poured my heart out in the last hour and twenty minutes, Greg. <laughs> you wow. have made me. You have made me like the movie more. You're so thank you, Ricardo. Hard to <laughs> well, that's good because you're not a Fliberty gibbet. You know, you're not. Oh, you're right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Really quickly, one last question. Why do you think the Academy nominated this movie? Because it's great. And I think probably they thought they were being transgressive when they nominated it. I think so. I think it was like, ooh, what a a compelling movie that people are going to talk about. And they're going to tune into our Oscar show to see if it actually wins. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think that it was, um, I think the, uh, I mean, what is it? Like the conversation, I almost said controversy. I don't think it's a controversial movie, but I think the conversation around the movie like was attractive to the Academy and they wanted that conversation at their big television awards show. Right, right. I I imagine if whoever was the host for the Oscars that year, Billy Crystal or someone probably did some gag about the crying game in their opening number. Yep. I would I would undoubtedly say yes. (laughs) <laughs> and if if that did happen, maybe I will play a clip of it at this moment on the show, depending on how gross it is. I have to tell you, I'm so glad the entrance is over because I've been under such pressure, as you can imagine. Everyone's been talking about, how's he coming out? How's he coming out? I know he's coming out. He's coming out like this. Everybody wanted me to come out like them because they thought it was good luck. A few good men said, come out like a Marine, you know? Get like Jack in a tight close-up. You can't handle the truth! Then people said, come out like Clint. And then the crying game said, you know, just come out. So I'm here. So here we are. How are you? Actually, the most nervous people in the audience have got to be the producers of the crying game who are looking at me now and going, don't say a word. I'll be good for a while. I will not reveal the secret of that great movie, but I have to say, for me, that big scene proved one thing. White men can jump. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, this was really fun. Hey, thanks, Ricardo. Do you want to make your voice hurt? Wobble, wobble, boss? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to make your voice heard? Email us at poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts, and maybe we will read them on the show. Next up, Betsy is going to be back, and Tom Cruise is going to be back because we're going to be talking about the movie A Few Good Men. That's a good movie. By Rob Reiner. That is a good movie. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you for recognizing that Tom Cruise made a good movie. Betsy refuses to acknowledge that fact. There are good movies that Tom Cruise is in, and you probably have to give him some credit for them. But boy, so. he's like the anti anti Stephen Ray. He's the anti Stephen Ray. If I saw <laughs> Tom Cruise crying, 
I would be like, good. <laughs> you don't get lost in his eyes. You don't think that he has deep pool eyes. Of like, oh God, Tom Cruise's eyes are dead. <laughs> Ricardo, thank you so much for coming to visit me on going on 30. Oh, you're great. Going on 30 was fun. But don't you do the thing at the end? Remember to. <laughs> and remember. Oh, I, to- I actually, we don't do that on this show. Why not? Um, because I don't know, because we just always say good night and good luck or something. We just sign off. We sign just off in a very chance. boring way. But do just you, would one you chance. like to... Yeah, because yeah. it's always Betsy and Liz's thing. Yeah. And neither of them are here. And now I get to, can, can I do it? Yeah, absolutely. Can Ricardo, thank you for coming to visit. We will see you next time. And remember, keep those collars popped. Oh, you did it. That's awesome. Yes. Once. All right.